And uh, I'd like to call Brian McConaughey up, and he's going to be speaking to us today. Uh, you may have uh, noticed uh, his name in the bulletin. Brian is, um, I don't know, are you executive director or CEO or whatever of Ratnak? Founding director. Sorry? Founding director. Founding director of Ratnak International who works in Cambodia. If you noticed on the way in, uh, there's a, a display table there with some information. If you're interested, you can... Uh, you can uh, pick up some information there after the service out in the foyer. Uh, Brian will be around uh, after the service as well, and he will be joining Alfred Liu's uh, Sunday Life Group. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Alfred uh, interviews people and uh, finds out things about them. So Brian has graciously allowed himself to be interviewed, uh, not really knowing what's coming. So if you want to get to know a little bit different side of Brian and what Ratnak is all about, you can join Alfred Liu's uh, Sunday Life Group downstairs in the library after the service as well. Uh, but we're glad to have Brian here with us. Ratnak uh, International is one of the ministries that uh, we support, and uh, it's been, uh, I guess, four or five years since Brian has been here, and so we're glad to have him here sharing from God's Word uh, today with us, and a little bit about what's going on in Cambodia as well. Let me just pray for him as he, uh, as he speaks to us. Father, we thank you for Brian and for the heart that you have given him, the burden you've laid on his heart uh, to minister to to those in Cambodia, to minister to those girls in need especially. And Lord, uh, we thank you for the way you've worked in his life and through the ministry. And Lord, we give you all praise and glory and honor for all that's been done there. We thank you for this willing servant who has, uh, uh, who has uh, set aside his own agenda and his own life uh, to serve you in this way. And we pray as he comes and as he speaks to us this morning that you would bless him, you would encourage him, you'd give him words to say to uh, speak to us and that you open our ears and our hearts to have what uh, to receive uh, what you have given him to speak to us today. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, the text I'm using is uh, Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. It's a uh, um, Fairly bizarre passage, actually, um, but there's very real uh, reason why it's meaningful to me. Uh, just by way of background, uh, those of you who don't know, my my background is in the RCMP as a weapons specialist, a very unlikely uh, place to start in terms of missions, but God can use all of us. Uh, and um, what you're going to see this morning is is a little bit about um, um, how God can use, has used me how God can use us and how God desires to, to use us. <clears throat> so the passage I'm reading from here is, uh, is Ezekiel 37. And the, the, the picture you see was, uh, uh, I printed this, this passage off a couple of weeks ago and went out to the killing fields of Cambodia and I sat and read this passage and meditated on it in a field, uh, which is where that picture is taken, in a field uh, with 21,000 skeletons in it. Uh, 21,000 people were murdered there in the 1970s in the killing fields. What a backdrop. What an environment to sit on that dirt filled with clothing and bones and read this and grapple with what this actually means. So let me just read it through and then we'll unpack it uh, just a little bit. <coughs> so Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out uh, by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw 
scraped many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. You will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you. I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared and then uh, on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds breath into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded, and the breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these are the bones of the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people... I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord that has spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. <clears throat> now you can imagine the impact of sitting and reading that and trying to comprehend who is this God when sitting uh, amongst bones and clothing, etc. It was a very powerful experience and a privilege for me to actually sit and have time to do that. There's so many places I could go with this passage and so many things I could unpack, uh, but I'm going to focus just on, on, on a few very narrow points this morning. The first for me is that the circumstances that Ezekiel is confronted with uh, is, is a set of circumstances that are absolutely overwhelming. Um, there are no skills and no talents that Ezekiel has to cope with the environment. He's presented with uh, a request to, uh, to prophesy and to speak. Um, this is not even logical. They're dry bones. And it's interesting... Uh, that it actually makes an emphasis. There were many dry bones on the valley floor. They, they, were, they were very dry. It's making the point they are very dead. We're not close here to life. We're way, way, way beyond that. They're, they're, they're calcifying and they're turning to dust. And as a forensic scientist, I understand what that looks like and feels like. And so they're very dead, and yet he is being asked to do something completely illogical, something totally beyond him, there is no hope of success that anybody's going to hear him if he prophesies to the bones. But he is required to trust. And he is required to obey. So what does this look like? 
when we are required to trust and obey in the presence of overwhelming odds in circumstances that are absolutely impossible. First of all, when we're asked to um, follow the Lord in this way, it is not passive. It tells us very, very clearly that this process is active. Verse 2, he led me back and forth. So he's not just sort of having a glimpse of this valley. He's being walked through this valley. He's seeing it all. God is giving him the full meal deal here. He wants to see it all. But he, he has to follow God. So he's participating as God leads him through the valley. And then he is asked to prophesy. So he's asked to speak. He is to give the words of God. But that's the key point. He's not just, not just told by God, speak, prophesy, figure it out. God actually gives him the words. So God is assisting him with this impossible task. And so he speaks. And in verse 7, and so he prophesied. He obeyed. So we have in this impossible situation the fact that he follows, he speaks, and he is obedient in both. In so many ways, the work of Cambodia that God has engaged me in is a work of impossibility. It is a work that absolutely, to be frank, stresses me out. And yet, in that context, we have seen great success. There are uh, several events in my life that were key in starting Ratnak, but the, the major one was my desire to bring uh, two suitcases of medicine in through the UN embargo, into the Civil War, post-genocide, and hopefully save many lives with, um, with those two suitcases of medication. Um, that was not God's plan. God's plan was to give me uh, nine tons of medication in a container. Now I had to figure out as a member of the RCMP how to smuggle nine tons of contraband through a UN embargo uh, into a war zone post-genocide environment. That was impossible. I had no skills. I didn't even know how to buy a container, let alone smuggle or ship one. <clears throat> and yet this is what God called me to, and it actually worked. And thousands of lives were saved. That went on to uh, develop into programs, medical programs in the genocide where all the doctors, or post-genocide where all the doctors had been killed. And, and so uh, we would build clinics for populations that had uh, no medicine, hadn't had for uh, over a decade. Um, and we would build the clinics, and then the Khmer Rouge, the world's most radical communist guerrillas, would come in, and they would destroy the clinics. And, and it was impossible to make any headway. <clears throat> I remember the awful circumstance of having to go to people who had donated money and say, remember that clinic you donated money for a month ago? It's been blown to pieces or burnt. And we have to start over again. It was, it was terrible, terrible difficulties. But those clinics would eventually develop into full hospitals, providing service to hundreds of thousands of people. Later in an event in 2004, I was to be confronted with these seven children. These were, uh, I was still in the RCMP, I was <clears throat> uh, working many homicide files, and uh, Vancouver City Police approached me for assistance with this one file. Um, they wanted me to review the tapes of a pedophile. And so I, I foolishly, I guess, agreed to actually watch these videos. Nothing in 20 years of doing homicides prepared me for what was on these videos, and I was introduced to these seven children who absolutely broke me. I don't have to unpack for you what was in those videos, but it broke me. I had no understanding of what some people can do to children. And what the police wanted was, 
was all, all these, these videos that were just in little cubicles. There was no street scenes, no, no uh, nothing public, no tourist shots, just cubicles and the abuse of children. And they said, can you just give us the country? Somewhere in Asia, can you just give us the country? I had no skills whatsoever. I was overwhelmed and I was shocked by what I was seeing. But I said, okay, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll take the case. Seventy-two hours later, I had the GPS locations of the crime scenes and I had the probable names of the children. That's not good investigation skills. That's God stepping up. And so we knew tremendous success in what was an absolutely impossible situation. In the brothel districts of Cambodia, this particular district is completely run by the Vietnamese mafia. It has seceded from the state. At that time, there was only one product. Uh, in that community of thousands of people, and that was the product of little children for the use of international pedophiles, etc. An absolutely loathsome and extremely dangerous environment. And we wanted to start ministry in that environment. You know, you, know, you hear about that in uh, uh, real estate, location, location, location. Well, this is not it. This is where you don't want to be. And this mafia-controlled environment we wanted to work in. And so... Um, we, uh, we decided that um, God was calling us to buy the biggest building in the community, uh, a child brothel hotel, uh, buy it from the mafia and convert it into uh, uh, a church, uh, a school, and a clinic. And today, 500 people a day go through that building seeking care and help and ministry in a horrendous environment. But this is a context of complete impossibility <clears throat> that we have known great success in. I've also been confronted by many, many individual lives, broken beyond my comprehension. What happens to children and young women in that environment is horrendous. And yet in that environment, we have seen against all the odds, the impossible thing happen. Dignity and joy appear in the presence of Christ. And so you would think with that list of kind of successes against the odds, you would think I would be mature. You would think I would have figured it out. You would think I would, be, I would be sort of dramatic in my faith and have confidence to move ahead. No. When it came to two suitcases of medicine, turning into nine tons, my response was fear and feeling overwhelmed. When it came to building clinics and hospitals that were being destroyed, my response was fear and feeling overwhelmed. When it came to finding and rescuing the first seven children, uh, in Cambodia, my, my re, uh, response was fear and being overwhelmed. So too with a brothel hotel and ministry. So too with the individual lives. Many of them we have gone on to minister to. The whole thing is overwhelming and I still am overwhelmed. And I still, after almost 30 years of doing this, don't have a good understanding of what I'm doing. I am, I am outside the box and I spend most of my time terrified. But is fear to disqualify me from faith? No, I think quite the contrary. So often, faith exists best in a context of fear. We sort of have in our minds that a man or a woman of faith should be strident, should be confident, even brash, but certainly bold in their faith, right? They've got to be strong in their faith. And yet this is not the model that I live. This is not the model I feel. How about you? When was the last time you made a choice in fear for the Lord? 
I'm not talking about those things that befall you, those things that you suffer through, those things that arrive on your lap that are difficult to deal with. Um, it is good to be mature before the Lord and suffer through the struggles we have. We can learn a lot. We can grow strong. We can trust Him more. We can grow closer to the Lord. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a deliberate choice to step from the area of comfort and step into the unknown, to deliberately choose to move forward into a fearful position. I'm not talking about those circumstances also that we choose to get into where you can calculate your way through them. You can say, well, I think I've got the skills, and if we do this, and we do that, and we plan, and we do that, yeah, there can be success here. Let's move ahead. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about those things that you have deep in your heart where you think, I I really would love to do that, or I should do that, but it's impossible. It cannot work. I do not have the skills. I am way too scared. It's not happening. But, in faith, I will choose to make that decision and step into that. That is what I'm talking about. When, When did any of us last do that? It's a frightening place to be. It is, I believe, what exa- exactly what God requires of us. An active decision, choosing to do the impossible before Him. My faith being far from grand is a faith that so often involves fear. It involves, right up to this week, sleepless nights, not knowing how to cope. Worry, feeling overwhelmed, all of that stuff. But is that, is that kind of... Is that to diminish my faith or does that demonstrate a lack of faith? Well, probably it does. Does it demonstrate a lack of maturity in my faith? Yes, probably it does. But I'm not called to build myself up to be some great, powerful, faithful person. I'm called to do one thing before the Lord and that's to try. To try. To just step up. When I one day arrive in heaven, will I be introduced as Brian the Brave? Brian the confident, Brian the successful, no. I will be introduced as Brian the timid, Brian the weak, Brian the fearful. But I will not be disqualified from faith because faith requires bravery in the context of weakness and fear. You're familiar with whatever medals we celebrate in our society for the great war heroes who went out and they did brave things. They're heroes. I mean, they, against the odds, they, they, they fought and they, they saved other lives of their compatriots or they achieved great things in battle and we celebrate them as, as these great men of, of history. And yet, bravery cannot exist without being in a context of fear. If there's no need for fear, it's not bravery. And if you ask any of those great heroes of warfare, those great men who saved others, and you you ask them, were you scared? They will say, absolutely, I was terrified. Bravery does not require the, the absence of fear. It actually requires fear, but it requires the ability to move ahead and do what you're supposed to do, whether you're scared or not. And so bravery is an act of discipline in the context of fear. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. The context for those words when we will one day stand before the Lord uh, is most familiar to us in Matthew 25, 
the parable of the talents, where you have the servants and the master's going away and he gets talents to various servants and they have to do something with those, make it count. And so two of those servants are, are wise and they invest the money and they come back and they double the resources of the master. And so the master comes back and he says, well done, um, good and successful servant. Is that what he says? No. How about well done, good and confident servant? Is that what he says? No. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we find that the servant that is commended is, this, is commended not for his success, but he is commended because he tried. They invested. That's risky. That may have gone the wrong way. But they trusted enough in their master that they knew what he'd want them to do. You invest and you, you work without guarantees of success, but you tried, you stepped out, you took the risk. The servant that was condemned was not condemned for the failure to make money. He was condemned because he was too scared to try. Very telling, isn't it? Sometimes I fear that I am more like the condemned servant because I fear a lot. But I have to step out anyway. And I would submit that you're in the same boat as I am. We need to step out and do that which is uncomfortable. When God faces us with the valleys of dry bones, those impossible situations in our lives, do we choose to obey in fear and trust? Do we choose to move forward? irrespective of how impossible it looks. <clears throat> we have to remember that it is God's job to succeed, not ours. God never requires us to succeed. Our society and, and the way we think and our own humanness demands that we work to succeed. Obviously, that's a goal we'd like, we'd hope. But it's not our job. Our job is to try. The realm of success is based on God's grace. Our job is to try. And so, one day when I come before the Lord and I have <clears throat> crowns to cast before his throne, what will those crowns be? I submit to you that the only crown I will really have is the crown that I tried. What do we do when we face situations requiring bravery? Do we actually step up? Are we prepared to work outside our comfort zone? It is my belief that we work best and God uses us best well outside our comfort zone. Because if you're faced with, with situations and problems that you can apply your skills to, that you can calculate your way through, that you can apply your qualifications, your certifications, your experience, if, if you've got those skills, what are you going to be relying on? Precisely those things. But if you choose to engage in that which is impossible, that which is absolutely overwhelming, you must rely on Him. If you've got all the skills in place, there's very little faith required. Faith comes in a position of weakness. That which is impossible, beyond our skills, absolutely overwhelming, where there's no prospect of success, where there's complete reliance on Him, that's where we find faith. By definition, we must rely on Him if it is to be about faith. So we are required merely to trust, obey, irrespective 
of the potential outcomes. The outcomes are for him. Success is not yours to grasp. That is up to the will, his will and his power. Success is not a crown that you can cast at his feet. Success is a gift of his grace and power and his doing. Our job, the only crown we can cast, is our weakness, our fear, our inability, our trust. We're very, very weak in this. So when we stand before for the throne one day, all we can say is, I trusted you. And what a noble thing that is. But I trusted you with the only gifts I bring to the table. Weakness, fear, and inability. And you brought success. So these are my crowns to cast before the throne. These are the only crowns I have. But oh, how he honors even these crowns. Imagine a kid stuck up a tree. Terrified. It takes half an hour for Dad to figure out where he is. And he he can't get down. He's really scared. And and below the tree you have Dad and he's saying, "Uh, Jump, I'll catch you. It's kind of a very stereotypical image of childhood and dads, isn't it? What does the kid bring to the table in this particular interaction or this situation? Well, the kid has nothing to offer but weakness. The kid is not in a position to be sitting up the tree calculating ways to get down. That's all finished. The kid is panicked. That child knows there is no way out. And then dad comes along. And so the kid looks down at dad. What's the kid doing? What's that little boy doing? Is he looking at the hands of his dad and staring at them and trying to assess, are those hands big enough to grip me? Is he looking at dad's shoulders and thinking, are they strong enough to catch me? Is he looking at the arms and thinking, are they, are they actually wide enough for me to, to actually land in those arms? Or, or what about dad's position? Is he actually positioned based on my trajectory when I come out of this tree that I'm actually going to land? Is, is the child working at all of that? No, of course not. What is the child doing? The child is looking, staring intently into his father's eyes. Not the eyes that are going to catch him, but he's staring into his dad's eyes. Why? Because he is seeking trust in the relationship of his dad. The most beautiful gift that child can give his dad is that wonderful gift of weakness in a context of fear where the child steps out, trusting in that relationship, recognizing that he has nothing to offer except weakness. In that context, the verse that is my life's verse, Romans 8.15, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. This is our strength. Without that, we have absolutely nothing. And we have nothing to bring to the table. And if we think we do, we're kidding ourselves. So I would urge you to commit to making choices, deliberate choices, often in the context of fear, to be brave, to do that what you're supposed to do, to look at whatever the valley of bones is in your life and say, I will act. I see this all the time with Cambodians. They learn to trust with their very lives. Young Cambodian girls, uh, just over a week ago, I was with a bunch of girls and they, they were telling me their stories through their tears. 
I tell you, what they have experienced is absolutely mind-blowing. When we would first receive the little ones, I'm not going to get into the details here, I can't see if there's kids here or not, but just in terms of, of general, when we, when we get the little ones, they had been assaulted an average of five to 7,000 times before we get them. Imagine that. They are shattered. And yet both these children and these young adults Learn to trust with their very lives. They're the kids up the tree. They're not looking at hands. They're not calculating shoulder width. They are looking into the eyes of Jesus and choosing to trust against all the odds that they have value, that they have hope, that even they can be redeemed. And in that context and in that bravery that they bring to the table that shames my lack of faith and bravery, I am nowhere near as brave as they are in the Lord. They step out and invariably giving God their weakness, their brokenness, their inability, their fear. God shows up as the great father to catch them and to honor them. And so in that context, I see young women coming out of that background with dignity, with hope, and yes, even with joy. We sit and we laugh. How can you laugh with this kind of background? They laugh. Are there scars? Absolutely. But do they know that they are redeemed in a powerful way? Absolutely. That's because they have chosen to step into that valley of bones and say, I will do what the Lord requires of me. The Lord requires that I trust Him and do what He says, irrespective of everything I see, even if it's bones to the horizon. (laughs) They shame me and they challenge me. And so my challenge for you is the same thing. What does the Valley of Bones look like for you? What are those circumstances in life, those relationships, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, parents, those relationships with bosses, those impossible situations where you think, that one's just too dangerous, I can't go there. I can't calculate my way through that. I don't have the skills, but I'm not going to go there. And what does the Valley of Bones teach us? Do as you're told before the Lord. Success is not really to be on your agenda. That's God's, whether it's success or failure. Your job is to try. Your job is to make the effort and say, I will trust you enough no matter what happens. I will take that position. I will move into that area of discomfort and I will serve him even at cost. And I think what you'll discover is that if you choose to step out, if you choose to be brave, He will honor you in powerful, powerful ways. And you will find a new understanding of who God is, who Christ is, and who you are in that wonderful gift of weakness you have given Him. So I would encourage you to be brave. Thank you.